Welcome to the Abbey Talks podcast series with myself, Lisa Farley, coordinator of the talks here at the Abbey, and actor Niall Buggy, currently treading the boards as the waiter in Bernard Shaw's You Never Can Tell. I caught Niall just before Beginners, and we talked about his beginnings here at the Abbey, there at the Queen's, and everywhere else the work has taken him. In this podcast, Niall talks about his parting from the Abbey company, the ecstasy and despair of Shaw, and the burden of Juno. Enjoy this podcast. Welcome, Niall Buggy. Thank you very much. It's very kind of you. Welcome to the rehearsal room. Um, yes. You, you, you'd be well acquainted with this room now. I, I am acquainted with it since the very beginning, since the very opening of this theatre, because uh, I came over from... I was at the Queen's Theatre. Yeah, take me back to that time. Yeah, because yeah. I you... was at the Queen's Theatre in 1964 or 65, and um, I was a student then. And there were a few of us. There was Sinead Cusack and uh, Frank Grimes and... Uh, Niall O'Brien, and Stephen Ray was in the company then, okay. so he he wasn't part of the of the Abbey School. There was a sort of school that used to where people used to get together on a Saturday afternoon uh, and be taught, if that could be the right word, by Frank Dermody. So you you had come from the Brendan Smith Academy and and then got yeah, is that right? Yeah, you yeah, had got to the, chosen to the, child, to the children's uh, part of the Brendan Smith Academy. Uh, yeah, Saturday afternoons. And what led you to to attend the Brendan Smith Academy? You know, uh, am I right in thinking you were 14 then or younger? Yeah, I was about that age, I think. Um, it's, it's quite difficult to remember exactly what age one was yeah. at that time, but I think I was about that age. And um, I was hopeless at school, so my parents were trying to think of... I could sing all right, you know, I was always able to sing. And... Um, then they thought, well, maybe if I went to a little acting school every Saturday, that would give me an interest in something. And I did become interested in that. Did you feel like a maverick at the time? I mean, were your parents theatrical people? Yeah, they were. They were? What were they like? Yeah, the, the, my mother was very, very glamorous and very beautiful looking. And my father wore a handlebar moustache and uh, a made-up bow tie uh, every day of his life. Which he, you know, which he made up, and you know, insisted that one wore that sort of thing. If you're going to wear a bow tie, you had to wear it properly. You had to, you know, not not a, a not a ready-made one. Okay. Yeah. And and you were brought to the theatre a lot. Then you would have. Do you remember the first play? I wasn't you made brought to see many plays. I was brought no. to see um, uh, Variety at the Theatre Royal. Yeah. Do you remember any productions you saw? Um, I saw, well, I remember Maureen Potter very, very vividly from the time I was a little child. And it was extraordinary for me to then eventually work with her. And um, also she has entertained, uh, he, or had entertained five generations. Um, uh, Neil Tobin said a wonderful thing about her. He said, I don't think... Maureen Potter should be given um, an honour for be, being a Dubliner. I think she should be put into jail for stealing the hearts of five generations. Oh, she had an extraordinary, extraordinary career. About, yeah. Much like yourself, though, you've, you've been in theatre and screen and stage work for decades upon decades. For um, all my life, really. I mean, yeah, for, for over 50, 50 five years. <laughs> That's extraordinary. Yes, it's a very long time. And tell me about your apprenticeship then. 
it was an apprenticeship of sorts, I suppose, here at the Abbey. You, as you say, you, it took mm. you a while to become a part of the Abbey Theatre, co- uh, the Abbey Company. Yeah, that was John Kavanagh got, got, got us into the company because we were working in the Peacock and playing leading roles in the Peacock, usually directed by Tomás McCanna. And um, John went one day, he said, I'm going to ask if we could become, mem- if I couldn't become a member of the company. And I said, oh, could you ask for me as well, please? And so he did, and um, we became members of the company. That's how we be- it's a simple. It was as simple as that. I suppose you had, I suppose, we graduated. We were pounds a week, you know, we were, they were getting us for nothing. <laughs> Do you remember it as a good time, or, or as you say, did you feel hard done by? Oh, no, I didn't feel hard done by. I felt, I felt very lucky to be uh, in the Abbey Theatre and to be working with all these people. And also, there were some members of the original company there then, May Craig and um, uh, Eileen Crow. And uh, it was an extraordinary experience to be with these people. And did they embrace you into the fold, or were you just the, very, the mayflies very. that they, they thought... You know, they were very you. friendly. They were very nice. Um, you know, they came from the, the, the Eileen Crow and May Craig came from a very different generation where everybody was called Mister or Miss, and um, uh, but they uh, embraced the new uh, sort of uh, generation. Um, and, and did you, and did you refer to them as Mister and Miss, and or, or was uh, that? No, I, I I didn't really know May Craig very much, but Siobhan McKenna, who's my a, a great friend of mine, uh, told me a lot about May Craig. I was going to ask you, was there a production or a person that would have uh, been quite significant um, in the time that you were here? And then I did a bit of research and I came across the Cherry Orchard production in 1968 yes. because I was thinking Siobhan McKenna yes. would come into the conversation. But then it was Madame Knebel, is that right? that's absolutely correct. Would you mind correct. talking a little bit about that time? Because it seemed like such a halcyon you know, time in, in, here at the Abbey. Everyone speaks so fondly of that time. Yes, uh, you know that was around the time. I mean, because we, I, I think it opened here in '66. Okay, '66. Um, and then there were uh, lots of uh, criticisms of the theatre, but there were incredible uh, successes there at that time, and extraordinary productions like Borstal Boy, and um, The Cherry Orchard, and um, The Loves of Cass Maguire. That's where I met Siobhan for the first time. With these part of the Dublin Theatre Festival, that's what brought them? Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, and Borstal Boy, I think, was part of the Dublin. But the Borstal Boy went on to to America. Well, I mean, oh, I didn't go with it, but uh, Frank Grimes did. And... Uh, it was, it was, it was, there were some wonderful uh, things happened. Terry Flynn and a, w- a wonderful company. You know, Donald McCann played a lot of leading roles there at that time. He was a very young actor then. Um, and uh, I used to observe the performances of people like Donald and Des uh, by going up to the uh, control room and looking at the show from there. So I was able to observe and to see and to look at Donald McCann's stillness on the stage, an incredible ability to be still and um, not move about very much, really. And that time with the Madame, um, yes. because you would have worked with Siobhan McKenna on that production, and yet uh, yes. she uh, didn't have any English. She would have, you know, it, it would Madame seem like never. it could have been such a troublesome production. Uh, yeah. It was amazing, and I think the main one of the main reasons uh, for that was she had a wonderful interpreter called Julian, who was uh, from from Moscow, and um, he lived in Dublin, and he 
she had a great, great sense of humour and she laughed an enormous amount, but she was used to six months of rehearsal. She was just getting four weeks, which was a long period of time for us because we would, I think, in those days, we got about three weeks at the most uh, and, and rehearsed in the morning. And if one was working at night, you got off in the afternoon. So well, the, the, the peri rehearsal period was... was short but people kept on kept their scripts um more in those days right up some people right up to the dress rehearsal okay and Antero Cusick was in that production as well he I mean, was right? yeah Gaiaf he was brilliant yes so you're working with you know as you mentioned Don McCann and Sarah Cusick and yeah. Sean McKenna and they and as you say you were the new kid on the block at that point, although you'd done seven years or so, is that right? You uh, not by the, not by the, I mean, by the time I left, I had done, uh, I had I'd been in the Abbey for about seven years, I think. I was 21 when I left, or 22, maybe. And what marked your departure? Was there a reason for your departure, or did um, you just feel you There you'd was um, a reason. I, I, I had been ill with something or other, I can't remember what, but I think it was fungi infection in both my ears, which is a nice thing for you to hear about, isn't it? Oh, Lovely. And I a like nice the detail. Like this. And um, I then was uh, offered a part in uh, uh, the film of Philadelphia, Here I Come, and I went to the manager here and said, would it be all right, even though I couldn't do the show at night here because of the fungi infection. Right. And uh, Phil O'Kelly, who was then the manager of the theatre, told me that I could do it. And then Hugh Hunt thought it was, who was the artistic director, who was a lovely man, but uh, he thought that that was wrong and he suspended me. So I was suspended for six months. However, I absolutely was abhorred and uh, by the idea of having been suspended, having given what I thought was a lot to the theatre at that time. You were suspended from the company? For six months. Right. But I never went back. I did, I did look at, you know, you have pages and pages of plays here and then there are gaps. I think you go up to 1970 and then you're back in 76, but that 1970 departure was that, was that yeah, time? Yeah, that was that. And then I was asked, uh, then uh, Phyllis Ryan employed me immediately. Tomás McGowan tried to get me back there immediately that that happened because he wanted to employ me in a review in the uh, uh, Peacock at that time. But however, I went to the Ablana Theatre to work for Phyllis Ryan and Rosalind Linehan, who became a friend, and uh, we did a, 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 a review by Fergus Linehan called uh, Black Rosie. So that was my first venture into being uh, freelance. And how did that work for you? Then you, um, did you end up in Sheffield? And uh, then I went to Sheffield yeah. from, from uh, the Ablana. I went to Sheffield. Yeah. And from there, uh, it was just stage and screen work took you away, or was yeah. there was that conscious decision to say, well, actually, I got burned there. No, You're it wasn't conscious. No, I, I mean, I didn't. I, I mean, I, they did ask me back, and I wouldn't go back. So that was uh, that. And then I went back. I think in, I think in about seventy four or five. I'm not sure if, to do a play. I mean, but I wasn't a member of the company okay. ever again. Okay. Of the permanent company, I should say. I came back to do the birthday party, I think, in 74 or 5 at the Peacock. And then in nine, and I worked with Gary Hines on drama at Inish. Uh, yes, that's right. And then I came back for the Hanging Gardens. And now I'm back again. And yeah. 
And how is it uh, working on Shaw uh, at the moment? Well, he's Shaw is a great challenge, you know. He really is a great challenge for the actor, and you're just learning all the time. And because he's so terrifically linguistic, and then your role as the waiter, yes. Walter, um, has some... Uh, you, you kind of punctuate the comedy with uh, yes. com- comedic... Uh, yes. ...common sense. Yes, that's right. Well, that's the way it's written, really. But when he plays, you see, well, we all do in our lives play a part, don't we? And uh, Walter's part, Walter's part is to play the waiter. That is his his function in life, and he's at his hap- he's at his happiest when he's doing that. And he's um, he's a quite you know he's he's ve- he's very individual as uh, as a character as a waiter because. You know, he's, it's, 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 he's just, uh, that's, he loves it. He loves his job. But, of course, it's nearly too much, you know, because you wonder why does he love his job so much? Because then, of course, Shaw introduces the most extraordinary scene and the most difficult scene to rehearse and to do, really, was the scene where he meets his son. It's a peculiar because scene, yeah. in that, and talking about the way Shaw... Uh, describes uh, what a character is or what he was, uh, he says he goes from complete ecstasy to complete despair to complete ecstasy in 50 seconds um, it's quite a challenge there's a lot of peaks and troughs there uh, it, it is but he's completely put off kilter by the by the fact that his son is uh, in the hotel that he works in as a waiter he can't bear that and uh, because he becomes the father, and it seems that he he he's not uh, content. But uh, once he becomes the waiter as the father, then he's happy with his son being there. And they bolster his confidence by putting him back into in, yeah, into yeah, his yeah, function exactly. and yeah, order. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and and you have been working four decades. Are there, I've heard that the hardest thing for an actor to do is to deal with the downtime uh, yeah. when they're not working. How yeah. do you deal with that? Ever with great difficulty. I'd imagine. With great difficulty. I, I find it um, even more difficult as I get older, I think. Because um, I don't have any particular hobbies. It's wonderful to, be go- to go from one job to another. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, when I was doing... Uh, translations last year, I think, uh, on tour in England. I then knew that I was going to another job, the importance of being earnest uh, after that. And that's a very, it's a very good feeling, you know, it's very good to know that you're... Um, and you like to be consistently working from one end of the year I to the... I do, you like really, yeah, yeah. I'm not really interested in holidays, although I've been very, very lucky. I mean, I've gone around, I've gone to Australia, I've gone to America and uh, various other places. Uh, in in the work, you know. So, and where do you call home? Because you would have spent years and years Anywhere away. I really, hang my heart is home. Really, not really, but I call home Dublin, even though I don't live here. It's quite mad. London is where I live, but I go home to Dublin and I go back to London. That yeah. makes sense. That would make sense. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask you about? working with the O'Casey Theatre Company in the 90s because I was very aware uh, we had Siobhan O'Casey here over the last number of years and she's a lovely lady and I just wanted to ask you about how that came about 
and and what it was like performing up in in Nuri in Northern Ireland at the uh, time. I was um, working in New York at the time, and Siobhan was living in New York, and I was doing um, Aristocrats by Brian Friel in 1989, and um, I met Siobhan, and we did some work together with a little company of O'Casey's later work, Laser Plays and some of his writings. And then, uh, to cut a long story short, um, she formed the O'Casey Theatre Company in Newry, which was um, a wondrous idea because it it had American actors and English actors and Irish actors. And uh, we did uh, Shadow of a Gunman, uh, which we went on tour with, and then we uh, we did, uh, which was great for me, uh, experience for me because I, I learned so much about O'Casey. Did a one man show on O'Casey's life. After that, uh, dire- yes, directed by Siobhan. Okay. And and sort of um, uh, all the, all the accumulation of 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 his work uh, was in that show. But I was always very, uh, as I think most act, Irish actors certainly are, feel very, very close to O'Casey. I think he's quoted more than any other Irish playwright. By, by, uh, I mean, Singh would be quoted a little bit, but, but actually, uh, because O'Casey wrote brilliant situation comedy, uh, we can always relate, uh, you know, if somebody... Uh, coughs or something like that. Have you got a little cough in your throat? Oh, it's only a little cough I have. There's nothing derogatory wrong with me, you know. And, and you know, we, we've all got pieces of O'Casey that we can use. However, I still think that his later work has been neglected terribly and needs to be done, you know, well. I, I know Siobhan is, is constantly campa- yeah, yeah, campaigning yeah. for that. But Roses have... for me is an extraordinary play, as is Cockadoodle Dandy. That was his favourite play, you know, Cockadoodle Dandy. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know they had a, a series of readings here, uh, but I know Siobhan was always, you know, pushing to have the work actually put on as well. And is that a friendship that has sustained? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because I knew Eileen very well. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she told me lots of stories about about Sean and herself, and they used to go to see the vaudeville theatre together, and they, you know. And Eileen and, and Shaw would have been friends. Eileen yeah. and, uh, I think Eileen might have been the last person outside of his wife to see Shaw alive. I think, I I think that she also, saw yeah. him sort of the Friday before he died on the Sunday. But I know that he was in, you know, he was confined to, to, to bed and she saw him then. But he, he had been, as far as I know, very, very good to the O'Casey family because... It was a very tough life for Sean, you know, and bringing up children and, you know. He was constantly writing his biographies, wasn't he? He was, kind, he was yes, a prolific yes. writer, but... Yes. Yeah, no, they, they didn't have a lot. Well, I think to write one of the greatest plays ever written, you know, outside of Shakespeare, really, uh, I would consider it. I would think Juno and the Peacock would be one of the greatest plays I don't, I mean, who who, who am I to say that? But I mean, I I think it probably is. And I think that it's a sort of um, a burden, in a way, on a playwright 
to have written, you know, because that was in, in his early days. As uh, you know, he wasn't that young as a playwright because he's he only started writing really when he was forty or. Yeah, he yeah, just put yeah, the yeah, shovel yeah, down and yeah, took yeah, up the yeah, pen, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he must have been writing before then, you know, diaries and things. But I mean, to write a play, and it's such an incredibly um, perfect play in a way. I mean. It's a fantastic role for a female lead as well. I mean, it's a, well, Amazing. Juno is an extraordinary woman and it's just, you know, in light of everything that's happening this year, it is a fantastic role. It's, it, was so a, it was so ahead of its time. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's very interesting that you're talking about this period of time. I mean, in this sense, is that, is that like uh, Ocasey, of course, was uh, a complete feminist in... in, in if one would say, although he maybe never used that word, I don't know, but uh, he he certainly was in in his work. Um, uh, there are no heroes in Ocasey plays, really, or heroines. There are abound heroines abound. I mean, if you look at uh, the Plan of the Stars, also, uh, you know, you have Nora there. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah. Saying, look at them. Look at them. Look at them that fear in them going out fighting for their country. Yeah, fierce, strong women. In his later years, he became almost like an agony aunt. Uh, women wrote to him. Oh, he was right? so close yeah. to so many women. I mean, um, um, as indeed was Shaw. Shaw was fascinating because everybody, everybody's idea about Shaw is their own. You know, and everyone has their own not, take on him. Well, you know, people say, oh, well, he was this, so he was that. And then you think, and you look at something and you think, was he a feminist, you know, saying that? And of course he was, he always gave so much. He never took sides, really. I, I think he didn't want sides, you know. I think he didn't, he, he maybe thought that humanity was above that or should be above that. Maybe. I'm not, I can't. I can't speak for him, but, uh, you know, it seems that maybe that might have been the case. That's interesting. It is. It's fascinating. I mean, I think O'Casey was much more um, an obvious uh, feminist than Shaw. I, I may be wrong there, but I think, uh, I mean, O'Casey loved Shaw. He really was very influenced by him and really loved, and, and Shaw loved O'Casey and loved his work. As you know, 